Hey, you guys, just wanted to let you know we have an amazing show called The Game Changer Show each and every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. GMT, where we interview uh, entrepreneurs, athletes alike. Uh, it gives people uh, an, op- an opportunity to listen to people's story, how they made some, how they've kind of uh, really turned their business around. Uh, it's fun. It's thought provoking. It's an opportunity to ask questions uh, and it's interactive. So if you want to come uh, and hang out with some cool people, uh, 6 p.m. PM, please go to uh, youtube.com forward slash sleeve forward slash Adam Strong. Uh, subscribe and click on the bell, and we'll see you there on Wednesday at 6 p.m. GMT. Cheers. Take care. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have another fantastic show And uh, today we have a very special guest. We have Akhtar Khan, who is a high-performance coach, property and business success coach. He started off with zero money or very little funds, a zero personal track record and zero experience, and has now built a multi-million pound property portfolio and has also generated over six figures and is able to retire at the ripe age of uh, 37. We're going to be talking about some really interesting subjects today and first of all just want to say Akhtar welcome to the show man great to have you great to be on here and great to you know have you on uh, your podcast and really appreciate that really excited to share some uh, some good stuff with your audience absolutely we're definitely looking forward to having you here anyway so listen I know that we've had some really interesting conversations off air and stuff but just for the purpose of our audience which is now Believe it or not, I actually looked at the stats this week. We're now in over 40 countries worldwide, which is fantastic. But tell me, I mean, what was going to say to you? Tell us a little bit about growing up, because I know that growing up for you was was quite tough. But I mean, how did that, I suppose, two questions. What was life growing up for you? But second question is, is how did it affect your mindset for for success? Uh, Absolutely. And it's a great place to start. So... I grew up in a very challenging and dysfunctional family unit. So my parents uh, were immigrants, both came to London. They split up when I was about five years of age. Uh, my mom had mental health challenges, didn't know about it, but you know she was undiagnosed and she was a stressed out mom with five kids. So my father was like in our life, out of our life. You know, we're talking 35, 40 years ago, you know, it's a long time ago. Right. So um, it was... <laughs> The best way to describe it, it was a train wreck. It was an absolute train wreck. So, um, you know, with my mom's mental health issues and her challenges, she was abusive. It was very violent. You know, uh, it, it was a crazy kind of environment where you were always walking on eggshells. You know, it was it was a tough environment. Of course, being the eldest, I had to take responsibility, had to look after my siblings. But every day it was like you were walking on eggshells, didn't know when she was going to go off. And of course, you're on hyper. You're on high alert all the time. You're hyper vigilant to everything. Um, it was a super stressful time growing up. But what I didn't know about that stuff was that I probably I probably got to kind of realize this later on in life. But all that kind of conditioning that you have as a child, all those experiences, they shape you, they mold you, 
they affect your belief system, they affect your self-worth, they actually create trauma in us that a lot of time we goes unrecognized. So we have these patterns of behavior that we do, these things that can trigger us, these trauma responses that until you become aware of them, they literally can limit you and keep you stuck in a prison in your mind and they limit your success. So that was the impact of growing up in that environment. You know? So that's how it impacted my, my kind of uh, success, if you like. But if I can kind of take that on a little bit further forwards, I, I kind of stayed in that environment until my parents got to, I think I got to about the age of 15 years of age. And of course, like my parents had been split for a long time, but they were like cat and mouse. So even though they'd been split, they just fought and fought and fought. And it all got to this big crescendo when I got to the age of 15. My parents dragged myself and my siblings through this really messy and bitter custody battle. They dragged us through courts. And while they were having a great fight, they could not see the damage it was doing to our, us, you know, emotionally, psychologically. It was just, it was kind of tearing us all apart. Right. And as a 15-year-old kid, I didn't know how to handle that. So I went to a pretty good school. I was quite a smart kid. Went to a grammar school. And because of this emotional stuff that was going on, I couldn't quite process it. I didn't know what to do. So it manifested itself in my behavior. I just kind of gave up at school. I became the disruptive kid. Uh, soon I got kicked out of school. Um, and I, I didn't really have anywhere to go. So this was like the last year of school. Um, I, I, I couldn't really hang out with my friends anymore because they kind of, I was a dropout. They didn't want to hang around with me. So what did I do? I started to hang around with, with all the other dropouts. So that became like my kind of benchmark of being around these other guys that were dropouts. So what did I do? I did with what the other dropouts did, which was go out and party. You know, I was drinking, I was partying, I was smoking weed. I was doing things that I now know were pleasure-seeking activities, but it was all to numb the kind of emotional pain that I was in. And life for me back then was pretty rubbish. It was pretty kind of boring. So I couldn't do much. I didn't have much in the way of skills. I ended up getting crappy job after crappy job. I delivered pizzas for Domino's Pizza. I zipped around on a moped. <laughs> I yeah I did believe it or not there's no um, shame I, I, in I, dominoes trust me uh, there is <laughs> humble beginnings that's what I did I, I worked in Sainsbury stacking shelves I even worked as a waiter and at one point I had three jobs I, I, I waited in, a, in an Indian restaurant okay and I was just doing what I could do to survive but life back then was really crap you know it was pretty crap and the highlight of my life really was going out partying so you know I was one of these people that used to work during the week and then when I got time off at the weekend a Saturday night that was like the one day of the week I could kind of live and party and just kind of escape all the, the crap that was going on in my life, the boring stuff that I was doing. Right. But this is back in the early 90s. So let's go back to the early 90s. So this is 1992, right? I was 18, 19 years of age by this point. And partying back then was being part of the rave scene. So I was going out to these raves and clubs and I saw an opportunity there, which was I could go out and DJ. So I decided to become a DJ. That paid for my nights out. And I ended up DJing in like clubs, bars, you know, pirate radio, even in a tower block in South London. It was pretty fun and exciting <laughs> times, but there was a big problem with being part of that rave scene, which was recreational drugs, class A drugs were part of everyday life. And before I knew it, I started using ecstasy. That so that kind of was, uh, it was my escape. It was really my escape. And it was also a way of me escaping my current reality, my current situation, but it was also escaping the emotional pain that I was in at the time. And one day I partied a little bit too hard. And that was when I kind of OD'd on ecstasy. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I've got to, I've got to stop what I'm doing right now. You know, it was a bit of a tough call. Right. But if I rewind a little bit before that, I moved out of home when I was 18. And I remember when I moved out of home, I moved into this, this one bedroom flat. And uh, the agent said to me, look, um, the, the landlord's going to come around in a couple of days and uh, pick up his mail. And I remember thinking, okay, fine. So one evening there's a knock on the door. 
I opened the door. So bearing in mind, I was 18 years of age, right? So I had, I used to dress like a, a puffer jacket, a baseball cap. I looked like a yob, right? I, I, I look like how you don't want your 18 year old kid to, to dress, right? I look like a little, little yobbo, right? A little South London yobbo. So that's how I looked, right? So there's a knock on the door. I opened the door. There's a young guy standing there. He said, I've come to pick up the mail. I said to him, oh, you must be the landlord's son. So this guy was dressed like how I was dressed, a similar kind of attire, baseball cap. He just looked like a kid. And Got he it. said, no, no, I, I, I'm, your, I'm your landlord. And I said to me, you've got to be shitting me. How can you be my landlord? <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, because it took me six months to save up the money, save up the deposit, get everything I needed to furnish this space. I didn't even go out with my friends. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how is this guy my landlord? So I was kind of rattled. It kind of pushed my buttons. But I was also intrigued. And I found out that this landlord had inherited some money from a relative passing away. He then went and borrowed some more money from his father. And he went and bought this property at an, at an auction. He then went and refinanced and pulled all his money back out. And I remember thinking, wow, this is pretty amazing. So put money into a deal, got it all back out, recycled his cash, and then was able to live off the profit. I then found out that he'd done this five times. So it blew my mind away. And I thought, wow, I'm going to go and become a, a, a landlord. Okay. So that happened prior, but I didn't go out and do stuff. I didn't take action because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still dabbling with the wrong kind of people. But also the key thing here was I had a very limited mindset. There was a part of me that deep down inside didn't think I deserved it, didn't think I could do it. You know, there was that voice in my head saying, who the hell do you think you are? You right. know, trying to be a property investor. That was the negative mindset that I had because of the conditioning I had growing up in that dysfunctional family. The imposter syndrome type of thing, right? Oh, without a shadow of doubt. So after meeting, after meeting Andy, after having that experience, I made the decision to go out and buy, buy property and do property deals, but it took me a decade. It took me 10 years. Why? Because I was running around in circles. Okay. I suffered from imposter syndrome. As soon as I got close to doing something, I would self-sabotage and go, maybe this isn't for me. You know, uh, who, who do you think you are? Actually, if you screw this up, you're going to look even more stupid. People are going to say, hey, I told you so. There was all that narrative that was running around in my head, you know, negative self-talk, that doubt, crisis of confidence, you know, just feeling out of my comfort zone. And back then, we didn't have the levels of education and mentorship and support groups and Facebook groups that we have now. There was only a couple of TV programs. So it was a very lonely place. OK, I didn't have the right tribe around me. I was still hanging out with people who were partying who just didn't want to get anywhere with their life. So that was kind of restrictive because if you're around those people, that becomes your mindset. So I wasn't quite breaking through. So it took a decade of spinning my wheels until I did my first property deal. Love it. Very good. And interestingly enough, I was just I actually in, cause you said that you were doing DJ and actually one of our previous guests, Mark Wilkinson, he was an international uh, DJ. Actually he did a, he did a tour of Ministry of Sound in about 65 different countries. Similar different story to you, actually. Done property and that kind of stuff. You'd have to listen to his episode. Really, really cool. And I'll, I'll do an intro if you like. But yeah. The other thing I was actually going to say as well, because the other question I had here, did you ever feel like pressured? I mean, you kind of, kind of answered the question, but did you ever feel pressured or did you ever feel pushed into... You know, like in India culture, for example, Indian culture, you know, parents, they want their, their older sons or their, their, their siblings essentially to become doctors or solicitors or highly well-paid jobs because that's what they used to do, right? Did you ever have that? And did you ever feel pressured into kind of into a kind of putting pushed into a career that you really didn't want to do? Absolutely. So, you know, again, with 
wasn't so much with my mum, but my dad wanted me to follow like the family business. So he'd had like factories. He'd also had like Indian restaurants. He wanted me to go down that path. And I was like, there's no way I want to do that. And of course, like, you know, that that to my dad was like sticking my middle finger up to him. It's like, hey, you don't want to take this on. Right. Um, but but yeah, there was that pressure to go down that route. And I just didn't want to go and do it. It just was not for me. So there was that challenge there. And of course, you, you know, um, I guess my dad kind of withdrew. He's like, okay, you go do your own thing then. He didn't kind of say, you know, he wasn't mean about it, but he also wasn't very supportive about it. Do you know what I mean? Understand. Um, he, he kind of thought he knew best. This was the right way to do things. And it was, you know, he was, he was right. He was, the, you know, he had the right business model. It wasn't right for me. And I'm glad I didn't do that, but there was that level of pressure to conform and do what he wanted me to do, you know? Absolutely. No, I just thought I'd kind of ask that question because, you know, I've got obviously quite a few friends who are, you know, Indian and uh, sort of, you know, they're, they're from that. And, you know, there's this kind of pressure of expectation more than anything else of, you know, wanting that. And, you know, for some sick, you know, in your case, your dad didn't just said, you know what, do what you want to do type of thing. And, and that was okay. And, you know, but for some, but, but for others that the relationship between them and their parents, which can lead to, you know, sort of a tearing apart, which then again, which is, it doesn't give you the right platform in, in order to give you success in later on in life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and I'll say this just to kind of add to this, you know, when I didn't follow what my father wanted me to do, our relationship became estranged, right? So there was that separation because I wasn't doing what he wanted to do. And part, part of the Indian culture, or at least my, the culture from my family is that, you know, it's about praise, and it's about honor, and it's about looking good, Absolutely. rather than your, your child fulfilling what their passion is, you know. And also, there's an element of survival in there as well Is if you've got a high paid job, or you've got a career, it's security. But that just wasn't the right thing for me. I knew that I'd, if I did that and went down that path, I'd be miserable, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, and then there's so many people out there, especially like, oh, you know, people that are listening right now where they have this kind of, you know, I must do something because I'm doing it for somebody else, which kind of leads down this, what I call lane or this lane of misery, misery and unhappiness. Do you know what I mean? You have any advice for people like that? Yeah, absolutely. This this is a real tough call, especially if you've got parents and family members, because one of the things that we we, we don't want to do is we don't want we, we fear people's disapproval. Right. We fear that if we don't please our parents or our family members or whatever, they're going to disapprove of us. OK, right. so what are we really afraid of, we're really afraid of losing their love. Right. That's what it comes down to. And especially as kids. Right. We conditioned like, you know, the, if you think of it from a, from a young child, right, for, for a young child to feel rejected or disapproved of it's like abandonment, okay? So to a child, that's like death. You're not gonna survive. If your parents reject you, you are done for. So of course, we've got that kind of uh, survival mechanism that's built into us. Even as adults, right? We still don't want the the, the disapproval or the rejection or the abandonment of our parents because, you know, it's a very painful and a scary thing for us to go through. But for me, it was like, It was. It would have been more painful to go through and do something that I really didn't want to do, you know. So the advice I'd give you is this, and I've seen this with so many people because over the last twenty odd years, I've mentored so many people. I've had people come to me and gone, "Hey, I've become a doctor or I've become a lawyer, but I actually hate it because it's not what I want to do. It's what my parents wanted me to do. Well, what do you really want to do?" And they go, "I actually don't know what I want to do." And it takes them, you know, they've spent all this time, they've gone to uni, they've built this career, and they're doing this thing that they think is going to make them happy, and then they go. 
actually, I really don't like this. And they've got to go through this process of discovering what they really want. And then also going back to their parents and saying, sorry, mum, dad, I, I tried it. It just wasn't wasn't for me. And again, there's an element of people pleasing there because they don't want to, to have the disapproval or let their parents down or whatever it is. And sometimes parents can, you know, unintentionally guilt trip their kids. Hey, look at what I did for you. Look at how I raised you. I put you through this, that and the other. And then we can feel indebted to our parents because of what they've done. But actually, you've got to make your own choice. You've got to decide to live your own life because we're not there to live our, you know, um, to have our parents live their life through us. We're not an extension of our parents, right? We are our own people. We have to take ownership of that and we have to make our own choices. And if other people don't like it, it's kind of their problem, but that's a difficult place to get to. It, It takes... It takes some discipline. It takes a little bit of you putting yourself first and your own wishes first yeah. and your own happiness over that of other people's, you know? You know what really pisses me off, actually, because one of the things that really drives me insane and, you know, backing kind of like when our parents were growing up, you know, you know, you, you get conditioned in a mindset where, you know, you, you, your parents say to you, son, uh, you need to go to you got to go to go to good school, get good grades, go to college, get university, get your degree, and get yourself a good job. Okay, J O B, just over broke, right? And you know, go get your mortgage, go get your nice car, and work for forty years, retire at the age of 60, 65, and live happily ever after in a freaking fairy tale. Oh my god, it drives me insane. I don't know about you, but do you think that those what I call traditions, because there is a tradition, right? I mean, do you think that, you know, those traditions still, a lot of them still exist today? What do you think about that? I, I think there's a lot of people that still buy into that model. For me, that's like, that's like hell. Okay. That's absolute yeah. hell for me. Right. <laughs> um, you, you know, you know, the film, the matrix, right. Yeah, Where yeah, people yeah. are living in this virtual reality. That's what you're describing there. This whole model of, of, you know, getting a job, getting a degree, you're fitting in the matrix. You're, you're there as a cog in the wheel to run society, living a mediocre life, just over broke, you know, what is it? A house with a little picket fence, 2.4 kids and a cat and a dog until you're 60. I mean, what are you going to do when you're 60, right? How are you going to live happily ever after? I'll tell you a story, right? I'll tell you a story, okay? It's a true story, <laughs> right? I, I, I used to belong to a yacht club nearby, right? And I remember going to the yacht club one day, there's a little bar in there. I go in there and the guys are all rolling around laughing. I'm like, what's going on here? Yep. And they're laughing at this guy because what happened was he went to his yacht, okay, he he fell in the water, okay, and there was no one else around, and he couldn't get himself out of the water. Now, okay. I'm thinking, that's not funny, right? This guy's in his 60s, and I, I, he's really embarrassed right now because they're all mocking him and having, you know, making fun of him. And I said to him, so, so what happened? He said, look, at my age, you just don't have the upper body strength to pull yourself out onto the jetty, Okay. And I said, so what did you do? He said, I couldn't get my phone because it was in my pocket. But he said, a guy was walking past with his dog and he called the guy and the guy freaked out, came out and dragged him out of the water. Here's the thing, right? Are you going to be fit enough when you're in your 60s? Now, some people might be. Are you going to be fit enough to go and climb Everest? Are you going to be fit enough to go and sail that yacht? Are you going to be fit enough to pull yourself out of the jetty? We're deferring our life. Why, why wait till you're 60? Why not do it now? So that old model of getting a job and doing that's deferring your life. Really, we can live life now. We can start living life in the moment. A lot of people have bought into this mindset of, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I do this. I'll be happy when I've paid the mortgage off. I'll be happy when I can do... No, that's deferring your happiness. You can choose to be happy right now by making a different set of choices. Absolutely. You know, really really interesting subject, by the way. And and, and it just kind of makes my blood boil a little bit, you know, especially 
you know, I don't know about you, but again, it's kind of how I kind of, you know, we're fairly, you're a little bit older than myself, but again, I think we're all kind of been conditioned to that way of thinking. And even like my family, they look at me and they think, you know, he's doing it his way, right? He's doing it. And they've accepted that, right? Whereas before they didn't, they're like, oh, Adam, you know, I can see you struggling again. You know, it's like, yeah, but my time will come. <laughs> my time will come. Okay. Yeah. And when my time will come, I will say to you, I told you so. Okay. Really, really important. It's really interesting. Anyway, moving on. Um, what I was going to say, I, I don't know about you, but I feel that and this is a real big observation for me, like many entrepreneurs uses, use the excuse of not having a lack of resources, whether it be no time, no money, I haven't got a certain this, I haven't got a certain that, I've got kids, I've got whatever it might be, whatever excuse that they come up with, and I call it the, the disease of excusositis, right? But as we both know, being successful uh, entrepreneurs, you've also got a great story about being what I call resourcefulness, right? But but versus resources. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience about how you became resourceful in terms of, you know, how is it that you've become now a, a successful property investor without money, without this, without a kind of a support system around you and without any knowledge, I'd love to know more about how that kind of worked for you and how some of our listeners can maybe take from that. Absolutely. So I used to be one of these people that used to buy into the BS excuses. You know, I can't do, I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, you know, it's very easy to fall into victim mentality or yeah. this fault, that fault. You blame something else other than yourself. Absolutely. So when I started to do property, one of the things that I realized at that time was that successful people, what was the difference between me and successful people, right? Successful people thought differently. It was just really simple. They thought differently and they took different action. So I started to think, well, what, what are they thinking? How do they think? What, what is it they're thinking? What's their thought process that leads them to take different action? So as I did my first property deal, I started to get into personal development. I started to read psychology books and personal development books. That led me on to start, start to, uh, I learned about neuro-linguistic programming. I studied hypnotherapy. A lot of this stuff, really, I was intrigued to get myself unstuck, yeah? When I look back now, I was stuck in that matrix, okay? And I had a whole load of dysfunctional thought processes. I had a whole ton of limiting beliefs. I was carrying around a, lot, a whole load of emo emotional trauma that I didn't even know that I was carrying. I had all this baggage, but I knew there was something holding me back, and it was all down to how I thought. So... I just kind of immersed myself into like, you know, understanding mindfulness, understanding like thought processes, belief systems, understanding trauma, understanding all of those things. And as soon as you become aware and you understand that, that those thought processes are just thoughts and you have the power to change them, you can't BS yourself anymore. Okay. So awareness is key. So I started to become aware of that stuff. And I started to call myself out on the BS excuses I was giving myself. Oh, I can't do that. It's not for me. How do you know it's not for you? Oh yeah, I've got to do this, or you know, I had a I had a bad upbringing or whatever. That's all BS. It doesn't matter where you've come from, okay. All that matters is where you're going, okay. And it's how you play the the hand of cards that you dealt with, right? It doesn't matter. You can't choose what hand of cards we've been given, but it's right. how you choose to play the game. 
I got to the point where I was sick and tired of being broke. I was sick and tired of struggling. I was sick and tired of the stress. I saw people around me that were thriving. So for that 10 years where I was inactive, I was trying to do property deals. I knew exactly what to do. I had all the theory. I knew all the knowledge. I just wasn't executing it. I wasn't putting it into practice. What was stopping me? It was the bullshit excuses I was telling myself. It was the belief system that I had. So I knew that I had to change that belief system. I had to unprogram the old condition that I had from my childhood. I had to unprogram all that trauma. I had to unprogram all those negative thoughts and those excuses and then start to like in, in, uh, take on board more empowering beliefs. You know, not instead of I can't do it, I can do it. Or I can figure out how to do it. Or not, you know, um, I've got this excuse. Start asking yourself questions like, how can I do this? How can I make this work? Yes, I've got kids. Okay, how can I have my kids and do this? Okay, so you start to think differently once you start to understand the structure of like positive thoughts and, and beliefs. And that's how I got out of it. So the key thing here is becoming aware. Awareness is key. Otherwise, what happens is, I think from the last research I saw, we've got something like 65,000 thoughts that we have every day. And the next day you can have 90% of the same thoughts. But when you're having those thoughts, it's your own internal voice. How often do you question your own internal voice? We don't. So we need to start questioning ourselves and go, what am I saying here? What, what am I actually saying here? Is this real or is this a BS excuse? Um, I ran a mastermind call this morning. I, I told people a story about um, one of my old excuses. So I went to, I went to stag do a couple of years ago. And this, this was a, a friend of mine who was very tame. He didn't want to drink alcohol. He wanted to go and have this uh, kind of adventure, adventure type weekend, climbing up a mountain in Wales. So we went up this mountain. We had this guy take us up there. We got to the top of the mountain. It was a beautiful summer's day. And on the way back, he, he took us back down and we followed this stream. And we got to this point where there was this rock pool. And he said, hey, guys, if you fancy it, you can jump off into the rock pool. It's a four-meter drop. He said, the water's going to be freezing cold. He said, when you hit the water, you're going to freeze your nuts off. But if you swim to the side, climb back up the hill, you'll be fine. And I, my first thought was, it's not my thing. And I walked off and I thought, how do I know it's not my thing? I've never even jumped into a rock pool. So how do I know it's not my thing? So I called myself and I thought... That's BS. That's a BS excuse. So I thought, do you know what? I've never done it. Let me go and try it. So we stripped off. We stood at the edge of this rock pool and I went to move to go and <laughs> move and jump off the pool. And as calm as I am right now, I got to the point where my body wouldn't move. It was just frozen. There was no fear. It was absolutely frozen. I remember thinking, why can't I do this? What's stopping me? Like, what am I afraid of? And I looked down, I thought, okay, from where I'm standing, the water looks like it's about a foot deep. So I went back to the tour guide. And by the way, this tour guide's in his 80s. He's trained the military, the SAS special forces on this mountain. I thought, I've got to trust this guy, right? I said, how deep is the water? He said, it's about 10 foot. Okay, it's three meters. And I looked down, I thought, okay, what if he's misjudged? What if the water levels drop? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Okay, I might hit the bottom. I might cut myself. I might break my legs. I could break my back. Okay, what's the worst thing about that? Well, the worst thing about that was, how am I going to look after my kids? So I had this deeper unconscious fear of if I hurt myself, I can't look after my two young daughters. So I actually got to the point where I uncovered an unconscious thought, which was holding me back. It was a BS excuse that I'd given, but unconsciously I was trying to protect myself from getting hurt and not being able to look after my kids. But it was just a perception rather than a reality. Sure. So whilst I was there faffing around, I was like, okay, my body started to move. I started to sway. This kind of invisible force field stopped. And as I was doing this, I was like, okay, I'm still a little bit nervous. One of my friends literally ran past me and jumped in the water, a big splash, and he was fine. He didn't die. He was all right. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, great. I jumped in the water. It was a great experience. And this is exactly how the tour guide said, I froze my nuts off, swam to the side, came back up, 
we did this again and again and again for the afternoon. It was so much fun. <laughs> my point here in sharing this with you is that I initially just said, this is not my thing. And I just walked off and I wouldn't have, most people wouldn't pay like, you know, give that any thought. It's just like, it's not my thing. And I walked off, but I challenged myself and thought, how do I know that? Is this a BS excuse? Now, after I did that jump in a rock pool, I think a couple of years later, I was out in Tennessee uh, in the US. There was a rock pool. Uh, there was a waterfall with a 10 meter drop. Now I was going to jump it because people jump it. I just didn't know where the right point was, but there was zero fear in doing it. Yeah. So we have to challenge ourselves. We have to challenge our belief system. We have to eliminate the BS excuses that we say by, by being aware of it. Now, if you're not aware of it, sometimes it's difficult to, to be aware of it. Get yourself a coach, get yourself a mentor, get yourself someone who can feed back to you and point out your BS and, and take it on board. It's not criticism. It's someone who, who cares about you enough to give you the feedback that you need so you can see where you're stuck. So this is the stuff that we must do. This stuff cost me a decade Right, of not having the wealth that I could have had. I could have had everything I had now 10 years earlier. I could have had a better quality of life, right? So when I see people right, going through this stuff and they give me BS excuses, I call them out because it's a pain of mine. I see people, I go, wow, man, you do not realize what you're doing and how you're sabotaging yourself right now. If you used to just get out of your way, start to see these limiting beliefs that you've got, start to see this BS excuse that you're giving yourself that's stopping you from having life on your terms. If you can get that out of the way, you'll then move forwards. Love it. Very good. Very good. Very good. Hope you guys are listening in. And if you, and by the way, if you're listening attentively, you should be having a notebook and a pen right now making notes because, you know, as you guys know, when we do these interviews, right, they're not just, Hey, someone's going to share a story. This is practical tips and tricks and advice. And I call them hacks in order to help you guys move you to the next level in your life and success and happiness, whatever you define that as. Moving swiftly on, actually, because I know that you're a big believer about the word excellence, and I get quite excited about that. But let me ask you, you've essentially gone through quite a journey in your lifetime to, you know, to position yourself as where you are today, right? How do you now define excellence and how do you practice it every day? Yeah, it's a great question. So what is excellence to me? So how I define excellence is you living, you being the best version of you so you can live your best life, okay? So what does that mean? It's not just about entrepreneurship. It's not just about property. It's not about a business. It's about you living your best life. So, you know, I'm, I'm a father. I've got two daughters. When I show up with my kids, I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be an unconditionally loving dad. I want to be able to nurture my kids, have fun with them, have a great relationship with them. And I want to excel as a, as a, as a father. You know, when it comes to me mentoring, people and sharing stuff with the world right i want to share like the best quality stuff i can so i can help people so really like excellence my definition of excellence is you being the best version of yourself so you can live you the best life that you you know you want for yourself but also you can show up as the best version of yourself for the people that matter the most to you yeah very good very good and and are there any particular habits or routines that you do on a daily basis that i suppose live by that value yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, I've got routines that I, I have. So I'm, I'm very disciplined. I get up at five o'clock in the morning. Okay. Right. You know, I know there's some people who don't believe in the 5am club, but I do because I tell you what, once I actually get out of bed, okay, it's the time of the morning that I'm, my mind is, is at its most creative. Okay. Research shows that for the first four hours that you're awake, 
you're going to be in the flow state. You're going to be able to do your, your, you know, your most creative work. So I time block out none of my team. No one can get hold of me for, for the first four hours of the day, because that's where I do all my high value tasks. That's where I strategize. That's where I do uh, build out complex sales funnels. You know, uh, perhaps I'm doing YouTube videos or content videos or whatever it may be. This is where I do my highest value stuff so that, you know, the rest of the day becomes easier and I have zero distractions. No one can get hold of me. There's no emails, no phone, no nothing. It's purely focused. So by the time I get to midday, all my high value tasks are done and everything else in the afternoon is just a bonus. Love so it. this is one of the things that I do. I've got these, you know, these high performance habits. We have a course inside of our academy. We call it ultimate peak performance because it's all backed by research as to what you need to do in order to be, you know, on top of your game. So you can excel in terms of your work life. Okay. Yeah. But that's just one part of it, okay? That's just like the daily habits and things. The key thing also is I wrote a book called The Code of Reaching Excellence, which is my model for, for execution. The, the challenge that I had and why it took me so long to build my portfolio and start was because I didn't know how to execute. I didn't know that when you go out to do something, knowledge is just not enough. You, you can know everything, okay? You know exactly how to do it. You could probably teach other people how to do it. But until you can take that knowledge and turn it into practical results, until you can execute it, it doesn't really mean anything, okay? And this is where I struggled. And this is where I've seen so many other people struggle because they do not understand the psychological and emotional responses that people are going to have when you either go to put something new into practice or if you've got an established business already, but you want to grow or level up, you're going to go through that growth spurt. You're going to get out of your comfort zone. So awareness of mindset and psychology is so important when it comes to whether you're just starting out or whether you're trying to ascend. So the two things that I would say that is, is the best advice I can give people is have your right habits, the daily habits that you need to do so you can be at peak performance, but you need to be very self-aware and understand what the hidden obstacles are when it comes to implementing or executing. Yeah. And I think what you pointed out actually was, the hardest point is awareness, you know, conditioning yourself. And you know what, right? People go, you know, and it's interesting. I call it, you're an autopilot where basically, you know, it's a bit like Groundhog Day where you're just kind of just doing the same thing. You eat, sleep, uh, eat, sleep, sh uh, shit, shave, you know, so you're in a routine yeah. of all of those things, right? And you literally, it's Groundhog Day. And I don't know if you've uh, watched the movie with the, uh, What's his face? Bill Murray. And it's, you know, it really kind of reminds me of that. You know, I, guys, if you've not seen that movie, you need to go check that out, by the way. Really interesting. When you, when entrepreneurs come to you or business owners or whatever it is, especially people in the property realm, what is, from your perspective, okay, uh, now we've talked a little bit, a little bit about it already. What do you think is one of the core foundations they need in order to, number one, uh, live by a value of excellence, but number two, to, to achieve success in whatever they do. What, what do you think it, what do you think that that is? Yeah. Great, great question. So what, what, what I teach people is I've got a model, which I call, uh, it's called the four phases of implementation. And what this does, it gives people a roadmap so they understand what's going to happen when they either try to put something new into practice, whether they're building a property portfolio, whether they're starting a business, whether they're an existing business owner, or if they hit a plateau and they're trying to level up, okay? So if I give you an example, typically a lot of people that come into my academy, a lot of them are, are property people. They've gone out and they've done courses, they've invested a lot of money in their education and they get stuck. So the first phase of the four phases of implementation is what I call the euphoria phase, which is, hey, I've done this training, I've done this course, I've gone on this marketing course or whatever, 
and people get excited. They get this good feeling, they get this buzz, but they also get a false sense of achievement because they think because I'm on this course, I'm going to learn this stuff. I'm going to have the knowledge. It means that I'm automatically going to be able to implement it and I'm going to succeed. Sure. What then happens is they go to the next stage, which is what I call the epiphany stage, which is where they meet the resistance, which is they go to put it into practice. and They go, oh, actually, this is a bit harder than what I realized. OK, this is where they meet the resistance. This is where imposter syndrome kicks in. This is where shiny penny syndrome kicks in, where they want to go, hang on a second. This is tricky. The, the self-doubt, the, the fear, the negative self-talk, the lack of confidence, all that stuff starts to kick in. Because what happens now is they've gone from perhaps being top of their game in their career or their business or whatever they're doing now they're at the bottom of the learning curve ego doesn't like it they're uncomfortable there's gaps in their knowledge because they've they've identified these gaps in their knowledge they don't know how to do certain things it brings up those feelings of inadequacy feeling like a bit stupid feeling a bit like you know an idiot or whatever it may be but people don't talk about this stuff okay so they don't understand that this is normal because as entrepreneurs guess what we all want to look like we're smashing it out of the park we're making our dent in the universe we want to look infallible. None of us like the fact that we're struggling, okay? So this is the first thing. So they go through that stage, and then this is where the shiny penny syndrome kicks in, which is where they're at this point now where they go, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I don't quite like this. Maybe I'm doing the wrong strategy. Maybe my mentor's not that great. Perhaps I shouldn't be in marketing. Perhaps I shouldn't be doing this business or this strategy. And then they want to go and do something different. Or if they're in this place, like you know, and it's uncomfortable enough, they sometimes look back and go, hang on a second, maybe my job wasn't that bad. You know, and they start talking themselves back out of what they're doing. And they, they look by, by contrast, all of a sudden what they came from looks a lot easier or looks more attractive. And they run back to what they were doing before. But you have to go through this phase here and you have to break through that uh, the, the, um, the resistance of the epiphany phase and go to what I call the evolution phase. This is where people break through. So this is the critical part where people need to become aware of the stuff and go, actually, this is a normal part of growth. This is a normal part of entrepreneurship, okay? You're going to feel you know, inadequate. You're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to have a lack of confidence or a crisis of confidence. You're going to feel out of your depth. You're going to feel like an imposter. You're going to be tempted to go and do something else. You're going to want to procrastinate, but just know this is normal because you're now out of your comfort zone, okay? So once people just grasp that and they go, this is okay, and especially inside of our academy, you know, we have this culture of being very open about stuff. There's no clicks, there's no attitude, there's no judgment. People can show up. And once they start to trust the other members in the group, they can go, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling out my depth. I'm feeling a little bit stupid right now. And people go, do you know what? It's okay. I felt that way too. And I'm very honest about that. I go, yeah, I felt that way as well. And this is how you overcome it. So just by being aware and people understanding that that is the norm, is going to help you to transition. And once they do that, they can then start to break through. They start to get some results and they start to get some traction. They've broken through that bit. But at this point here, they have to keep growing. Otherwise, they hit plateaus and go to what I call the excellence phase, which is where you start pushing through those boundaries, pushing through the plateaus, pushing through any beliefs that you've got that are keeping you stuck. So it's those four phases of implementation, which is the core of what I teach. When people understand that model, they can actually navigate and realize where they're at and not get caught up by the things that are out there awareness. They can go, actually, this is where I'm at. I'm feeling this re resistance. It's actually okay. This is how I break through it. Yeah. Interesting. Really interesting, actually. Really good. Some really good tips and tricks there. And, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, when you reach out to me about coming on the show and stuff like that, and I was like, when we talked about this off, off air, you know, the whole kind of excellence thing, I'm like, yeah, this is great stuff. You know, this is someone that I feel would be, you know, would really kind of sit on a great level for me because, 
you know, for I, I, I live by excellence every day, as you know, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's, all, it's all about, it's all, also, it's all about being an A player at the end of the day, you know, going all in or not at all type of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of person really, do you know what I mean? So if you're going to, if you want to achieve huge success, if you want to, I don't know, whatever, whatever that might be, release a new book, complete a project, do an online course, build a sales funnel, whatever it is, whatever you do in life, okay, uh, even if it's to uh, be the best dad that you're, or whatever it is, best parent ever, then do it with excellence, do it, go all in or not at all. Um, because otherwise, you know, if you have an expectation, and normally these expectations, when you have these expectations, is that, you know, if it doesn't work out the way that you expect it to do so, then you can turn around and say, do you know what, maybe I didn't actually put in as much effort as I should have done. And maybe I, my intention, even though it was goodwilled, didn't, wasn't the output that I was, that I wanted. Does that make sense? So, yeah, man, I mean, I absolutely agree with you on, on all your points that you've made. And, uh, it, you know, it's been a really great show. And I, and I, guys, listen, I hope that you have really taken on some points from uh, actors, great tips and advice and whatever it is. And you're going to implement this because the whole point of this podcast is it's not just one of those listening podcasts. This is one of those I need to take action podcast, right? That's what the Game Changers experience is all about, right? So I just want to say, Atta, listen, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time today. No, it's an absolute pleasure here. And yeah, you know, you just mentioned something. But guys, it's about doing the work. You can know it all, just do it. And you mentioned earlier on about, you know, going in 100%. Just go do it. Life isn't a dress rehearsal. Just go and do the work. Very good. Some some great conclusions there. And by the way, guys, if you have any questions, uh, Factor, what I would recommend you do is click on the links in the podcast below. You'll see some of his social media handles and just mention that you listen to him on the podcast. So he knows that exactly who you've come from. And uh, just I'm sure that in due kind, him and his team will also message you back and, and, and go from there. So listen, Actor, I just want to say thanks very much once again. And to you guys, hope that you've enjoyed today's show. And uh, we'll see you again on the next Game Changers experience. Take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys. I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.